standard issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here and welcome to episode 136 of the Standard Issue podcast. Coming up, Mick catches up with Ellie Gibson, you know, games journalist, co-host of the Extra Life podcast and the common one from the Scummy Mummies. To be clear, that's very much her words. And by her, I mean Ellie, not Mick. Anyway, they chat the joys of gaming, how the gaming world treats women, keeping it safe for kids and the sanity-saving power of virtual farming. And Jen is talking to Liz Scowcroft, Head of Research and Evaluation at Samaritans, about loneliness at Christmas and what we can all do to keep an eye on people who might be struggling. She also catches up with mental health campaigner and writer Hope Virgo about something to look forward to in January. Finally, as the charity launches Brew Monday, as well as new book, How to Listen. There's no Bush Telegraph or Rated or Dated this week, but we will be back with a full spectrum of standard issue goodies on January the 6th, when we will be rating or dating Dangerous Minds, if you'd like to join us. But that doesn't mean there won't be any standard issue podcasts between now and then. On Sunday, there'll be a festive edition of Outside the Box, where Mickey and I will be chatting Christmas viewing and our TV of the year. And next Wednesday, that's December the 30th, we'll have a review of the year for you when we chat about what we've learned about big P and small P politics in 2020 with top women Helen Lewis and Aisha Hazarika. And if you want to make sure you don't miss any of that stuff, you know what to do. And if you don't, it's subscribe to Standard Issue wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Now, given that this is the last time we will speak to you before Christmas, I'm going to say Sarah, Mickey, Jen and I, we all wish you a very Merry Christmas. Everyone has had a really tough year and the fact that we don't all get to spend a bit of time with our friends and family seems an especially cruel way to end it. As I record this on December the 22nd, I'm still unsure as to whether I will have to spend it on my own. So I want to say that if you're in the same boat, please don't let the loneliness get to you. Sarah has been running Join In on Twitter for several years and it has probably never been needed more. So remember, if you feel sad or lonely, there will be people waiting there to have a chat with you. And everybody else, have as lovely a Christmas as you can. Thanks for listening to us. And don't forget to watch the Ghost Christmas special, which is on the telly tonight and will warm your heart more than anything I could ever manage to say here. Until next time. Hello, I am joined on the Zoom by comedian, games journalist, podcaster and the brunette one from the Scummy Mummies, Ellie Gibson. Ellie, hello. Oh, hello. That's very nice of you to say the brunette one. Normally people say the common one, the Australian <laughs> one and the common one, as if the Australian one's not all so common. Yeah, so that's right? very kind. I feel you. like if yeah. I'd have said the common one, people would have still been confused until they yeah, heard your yeah. accent. <laughs> the nerdy one. The nerdy one is another one I get as well. In the interest of honesty, I have to tell you that because one, it's Christmas, two, it's 2020, and three, we're all friends here, I have not put on a bra for this interview. Oh, well, I'm not wearing any knickers. No, I am, I am. (laughs) (laughs) I've just made it weird now, made it weird. No knickers and and frontless trousers. Listen, in in the spirit of honesty, though, Mickey, I would tell you, this no bra thing, I don't get it, mate. Neither does Helen. We've talked about this privately, you know, we even said a jumper that says bra question mark humbug so we know it's a thing but like i i like a bra i like to feel supported i like to feel tucked in i don't like it all flopping about i mean i'm very much apples rather than melons so it's not a massive deal for me (laughs) yeah i'm not 
I'm not honeyed you, but you know. <laughs> I'm loving that you're thrusting them up towards the camera. <laughs> I'm having a lovely time listening. I wish you could I wish you could be here with us. I bet that some of them do. I bet some of them do. <laughs> I think the support thing's interesting because what I do miss when I don't wear a bra is the joy of taking a bra off at the end of the day. <laughs> I do take it off to sleep. I don't sleep and I'm not a monster. But, you know, I don't, no, sitting on the sofa with them sort of flapping about. No, thank you. <laughs> so, big question. How have you been? <laughs> I mean, there's, there are a bigger question than do you, do you wear a bra? Um, yeah, I've been all right. It's been, well, not everybody, really. I've not had the, the best uh, year. But I'm trying to look for the positive things. And I, I haven't had as difficult time as many people. I haven't, you know, lost any immediate family. I'm very, you know, conscious of being grateful for that. And uh, weirdly, I sort of I sort of got one of my wishes for this year <laughs> because about a year ago, we did a Scammy Mummies podcast with Steph Douglas from Don't Buy Her Flowers. It's a gifting business. And Steph's a good mate and she's a laugh. And she said to me a couple of months ago, so you got your wish then? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, and she, she sent me a bit of the podcast that we did together she on it she says so what are your hopes for 2020 and I say well I really love being on tour and stuff it's really great but this year I'd really like to slow down and spend some more time at home (laughs) oh fucking hell this is all your fault thanks mate yeah yeah so Steph's blaming me and I think she's right turns out I'm a witch turns out I'm a witch but then there are many many men who'd probably thought that anyway I was gonna say I can't believe that's news to you which is you yeah (laughs) I'm like Susan Sarandon in the witches of Eastwick I like to think I've always thought that do you want to be Cher or Michelle Pfeiffer? Helen can be the other one. I've got to be Cher. When I used to work in the oh, Sticky right. Old Man's Pub on a Sunday, which was brilliantly karaoke night, they all nicknamed me Cher. And I did get the job by the, the <laughs> pub owner looking me up and down and going, yeah, we could do with a brunette. So, yeah, I was known as Cher. So I'm quite happy to take that role. You do have a touch of the Cher now you mention it. A touch of Cher, a new parfum. By, uh... <laughs> yeah, I look like Cher when Cher was like 74 before she had more work to make her look 32 again. Oh, nonsense. You're like a young, you're like a pre-sunny Cher before she was broken down by that terrible man. I'm sure he's very nice. Don't know when I met him. <laughs> he's dead now. It's too late. Oh, fine. It's yeah, he's a tosser then. He skied into a tree, <laughs> which does seem Did like he? a silly thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Oh, I feel well. I don't know if I feel bad or not now about slagging him off. That's something for you to think about after the podcast. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. You didn't just do nothing in 2020, despite that being your wish come true. You launched another podcast. So tell us about Extra Life. Yes. To be fair, I, I didn't launch it. I, a man called Joel Morris and the assistant producer Alex they launched it and they asked me to co-host it along with Keza McDonald, who is the video games editor for the Guardian. So she's quite how highbrow and sophisticated and knows lots of things, whereas I just have a lot of knob jokes in my back catalogue. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, they asked us to go host it. And it's been brilliant, not least nice, because I've known Keza for like 15 years. We were like um, back in the olden times of games journalism. There was me and her and about two other women doing it. So we, we often sort of banded together. Um, so we used to have all sorts of adventures. So it's been really nice being able to hang out with her and, and do something together. And obviously you've touched on it there. You've got kids and you're a woman. Given that double whammy, how safe does the gurming, the the gurming? How safe does the gaming world feel right now? Yeah, the gurning world is very safe. The gaming <laughs> world, um, it feels safer for me because I, when I was a game journalist proper, that was before I had kids, and 
I left just before um, just before Gamergate and all that kicked off. Mm. But yeah, over the years, I would I definitely had a bit of abuse and you know just the odd rape threat, murder threat, things like that. Oh, just just the small stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the, you know there are certain people who to this day, if I if I write something on the on the internet within the first five comments, there will be one of these people saying, "Oh, she well, she's terrible. She's not funny," and you know, blah blah blah. And you sort of think, oh, well, that's not sexist in itself. And then you realise it's the same person doing it on literally everything you write, regardless of the quality of the copy. Mm-hmm. And you start to go, oh, yeah. But um, I think there are more women doing the game of journalism now, which has normalised it a bit, which is good. But I, I, I was talking to a younger one the other day, and she was saying it's still it's still quite shit. So, yeah, good, good luck to them. <laughs> but... There's something weird about being a mum as well, where somehow I feel like I'm less of a target for attack now because I'm sort of a mumsy figure rather than a threat or there's quite a lot of jealousy. I don't know if if they're jealous. There was a lot of who is she to think she can do this job and how how dare she think she knows about games. Whereas now I'm presented more as just some mum who's banging on about things for kids. It's a bit, I don't know, maybe I'm a bit less in the middle of the bullseye. Maybe, but even even though the landscape has definitely shifted since Gamergate, when that all got a massive light shone on it, it's still very much seen as a man's world, right, gaming? It's still seen as, oh, well, women don't play computer games, and that's just bullshit. Yeah, it's it's rubbish, um, especially if you count, which I do, mobile games, for example, like Candy Crush mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, loads of them, but also loads of women are what some people would call hardcore gamers you know and on the consoles on the machines look at the success of game like animal crossing as well you know that's that's been absolutely huge amongst women keza said a thing on the podcast actually about when we were when i was growing up you know i'm 43 when i was growing up it was quite normal for boys and girls to play video games it wasn't necessarily a a boys thing and then it sort of shifted i think with grand theft auto and call of duty and these very macho murdery murdery kill the hooker games um (laughs) so to give them their full title you'd have to cut that out (laughs) so yeah I'd, i'd like to bring it back to a more even keel really just on a grand theft auto note my friend dave is a wonderful man and he loves that game but not for the kill the hooker vibes what he likes to do is get his car and he drives up uh, to wherever there's a nice view and then he just sits there (laughs) and looks at the view does he know he could do that in real life he can't drive he He can't drive then he can't fair enough fair enough (laughs) so he just goes and has a nice little uh poodle round good for him Trouble will find you, though. Trouble will find you on Grand Theft Auto. I was always a big fan of House of the Dead in the arcades, where you actually oh, yeah. could hold the gun and shoot yeah. the zombies. And I actually learned to touch type with a game called Touch Typing of the Dead. So there were zombies ah. coming at you, and then there were words, and you had to type the words to kill them. So as long as there's zombies, you're in, Mickey, basically. Yeah. That's what you're saying. But although in a zombie apocalypse, I'd be dead in like 10 minutes. I'd be like, just get it out of the way. I'm just going to slow you down. Let them eat me. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I've got a plan for zombie apocalypse. I'm going to go and um, hole up in centre parks because they've got everything there. They've got water. They've got food (laughs) and a little mercato, whatever it's called. That's I'm going straight there. Just imagine the outside world screaming and being eaten and just you on a a pedal bike, just having a lovely time in an indoor forest. (laughs) Yeah. Just just swimming around the subtropical paradise. That's yeah. I'm going to write a survival horror novel about this one day. Don't don't steal my idea. I will not. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, my, my sister, like, I'm not saying that she's she's had a really hard 2020, but she does work in a supermarket, so it's been very tough. And she's uh, yeah. started collecting swords 
That's been her 2020. Okay, yeah, why not? That's where I'm going in the zombie apocalypse, straight to our Isla's house. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever gets you through. (laughs) Going back to games, which is where we're chatting. Oh, yeah. And there's that much more social aspect from when I was a kid of you can interact with people that you don't know and you don't see in these huge internet games. And as a mum of two kids... Do you worry about that or does it feel quite safe? Honestly, I don't. But that's not to say I'm dismissing other people's worries because I understand maybe I don't because I'm, I'm very video game literate and, and I sort of know it works. So it's not to dismiss people's concerns. But here's the thing. The video games companies want kids to play their games because obviously they make money, not out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They want kids to play games and they understand that obviously if it's not safe, parents will will shut it down responsible parents so they have made it as easy i think sort of as they can for parents to manage their kids stuff online so all the consoles have parental controls that you can set and you can set everything you can choose how long your kids play for you can choose the age of the games that they play you can choose who they talk to online you can have it just be friends or indeed you can turn off the online chat entirely so Mm -hmm. they can't text or talk to anyone and i appreciate that can seem a bit fiddly but again, the companies have worked quite hard. Like there's an app, for example, for the Xbox and the Play. So you don't even have to turn on the machine. You just do it on your phone. Right. And you can you can turn all that off and, and fiddle about with it. And it's no more complex than changing your own privacy settings on Facebook, for example, which most of us have done. Tell that to my mother. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> all right. Maybe not. Maybe your mum's not ready for Call of Duty. But uh, yeah. Yet she'd be brilliant at it. I can sense it. No, I think that's yeah. really comforting. Is is there any sort of tips that you would give to parents who are a little bit nervy about allowing their kids to play online? I would say, yeah, do the work, which sounds tedious. But yes, just Google like, you know, parental controls, PlayStation or whatever machine they've had. You'll find a YouTube video. You'll find loads of instructions about it. Download the app on your phone. Like, I think the Nintendo one is even called like Nintendo parental controls. Like it's <laughs> it's easy to find these things. And also if you're worried about the kind of games your kids are playing there are videos of every game in the world on youtube so you can go and have a look at it before you make a decision and and decide if it's right for your kid and stuff and it's all doable and i would say the benefits of kids online gaming are are enormous actually obviously in the context of when when it's a safe space but i my son charlie i let him start playing Fortnite this summer um, and he's nine and that's a 12 rated game and to be honest i wasn't sure I was going to let him play it um but he did he he partly wore me down (laughs) but also I looked at the game and it's a very cartoony game and I was like fine you know I'm I'm all right with the level of violence in this there's no blood there's no stabby stabby in the neck it's fine and I knew how to make it safe for him and even I was surprised by how valuable it's been because it's a place for him to hang out with his mates Mm. every day and chat and you know like at the moment he's just been told today he's off school like that we're not quite at the christmas holidays yet but he's not going back till january now but i know he can hang out with his mates later on so he's not depressed about not seeing his mates before christmas and i think that is hugely valuable do you think gaming can be a bit of a sanity saver then oh definitely i think on the one hand i can understand why people feel a bit alienated because it's like you know is it safe and they're online and they're chatting to their mates and all of this and but i think back to when i was a kid gaming i was in my bedroom like for eight hours just not talking to anyone (laughs) i just don't know if that's mentally less healthy than my son charlie going all right oscar what's up brah you know like they do the young people 
and they chat they do chat mainly about the game but they also chat about how they're doing and what you're up to later and what you do for christmas and what have you got on your christmas list it's their it's their way of socializing and what about for you has it been a sanity saver for you um i i don't like on get online gaming so much i'm not i'm not so bothered about that because i chat to my friends anyway right on whatsapp and and Instagram and Facebook and all the things Charlie's not allowed to have. So I've already got an outline. <laughs> yeah. out, you know, I'm sure you're, you know, that you can have a Zoom call too many, Mickey. I'm sure you know that. Absolutely. But I've been using games uh, this year as a sort of quiet time and a little sort of mind break. Yeah. So I got very deeply into this game called Heyday, which is a, just, it's like, have you ever played Farmville? It's I haven't like played Farmville, game. but uh, I know of it. Right. So it's it's you have a little farm and you have pigs and goats and sheep and you grow crops and you choose when you're going to go and you sell them and then you can buy a bread maker and an ice cream maker and you know I mean it's idyllic really it's it's just lovely I don't know it sounds like a job well it yes yes it is <laughs> <laughs> it, it 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 is but it's a rewarding job okay no that's know? good yeah from simpler times I guess. Yes. And it appeals, I think, for me, it appeals in terms of because you lay out your farm and you choose your it feels it's like order in a world when everything is chaotic and everything is you Mm. can't control everything. Here's this little piece of virtual tranquility that you can organize and make tidy and neat and productive. And as someone who's quite neat and organized and, you know, is having to deal with absolute fucking carnage most of the time, (laughs) I find that appealing. I can understand why. That's clearly a solo endeavor but i was curious as to whether computer games have become like the new board games for families do you think they can be quite social yeah definitely and there are some great board game style video games like super mario party you take it in turns and you have a little board that you all go around and stuff like that or mario kart obviously everyone knows that one mm-hmm. um just dance is a fantastic sort of in the room party game have you played that one i have i have oh. it's knackering who knew it's <laughs> It's, yeah, it's basically like training for a marathon. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think it's really nice that my son's generation is growing up with video games, A, being the norm in a way that they perhaps weren't previously, but B, they're being, it, it being normal for them to be a way to socialise, whether you're in the room with your family or on the sofa with your mates or, or online. And how do you go about choosing what games to buy? Because they are still quite a high price point, I think, for a lot of people. So you want to make sure you're getting one that you are going to enjoy and as with everything else in the world people do have a tendency to let their internal politics influence how they're reviewing stuff so how far would you trust a review of a new game and how do you work out what games you want to buy yeah i think i think it depends um i think first of all i pick where you get your reviews from carefully and um, my go-to's if you want to know if a game's good or not would be Eurogamer which is the website I used to work for and the Guardian because Kez is doing amazing stuff on there and there you're going to find um very honest but also very articulate and quite intelligent reviews of stuff I would say it might start with the kind of console you want and if you are more into the sort of younger sort of cartoony the Marios and the Zeldas and the Pokemons you probably want to be looking at Nintendo if you want the stabby stabby in the net game or the football <laughs> or the fast cars you might want to look at your playstation or your xbox um, but helpfully mickey there are some videos explaining all of these things in more detail on my instagram channel atalie gibson games but as if by by a, a random coincidence do you have all of the consoles 
I do not currently have an Xbox. I have owned Xboxes. I have, uh, yeah, I have a Switch, Nintendo Switch. I have a PS4, and I have to whisper this. I have a PlayStation 5, but I'm saving it to give to my son on Christmas Day because he oh. thinks they're sold out all oh. over the country. That's very sweet. Um, That's very yeah. sweet. Has that been the big one for 2020 then, what people have, you know, like... Arnie in the Christmas film that he did when he was after that like little toy has that been the PlayStation 5 yeah PS5 is sold out now in the UK I think it's sold out on pre-order so you can't get one till 2021 um, now and that's that's not Sony being tight they just you know these are very complicated machines and the, the, the factories in China can only make all the very complicated bits at a certain pace do you mm-hmm. know what I mean so that's what happens but I, I, I think especially if you're new to gaming um, I just wouldn't worry about it too much. So it's very exciting when these new machines come out, right? So the new Xbox and the new PS5 came out last month. And that's all very exciting. But they're like 450 quid. You can't buy PlayStation anyway. But you can pick up a PS4 or an Xbox Series S for, I think, a couple of hundred quid. These machines are great and they play all the same games. And at this point in the life cycle, to use the games term, there's not a radical difference in the quality of the visuals mm-hmm. and stuff. So if you're perhaps getting into gaming or getting back into gaming, I wouldn't necessarily invest right now in the new machines. I would maybe pick up one of the cheaper, slightly older ones, wait a year or two, and then the price will come down and the availability problem will be solved. And and yeah. Excellent tip. Do you also have to really manage your time so that you don't just spend all day getting lost in a game because that for me would be a real problem I've got quite an addictive personality and I'm like I'll just do one more level I'll just do one more level yeah I'm not gonna lie things got quite bad with heyday (laughs) I basically thought I was living in the archers at one point it was quite bad it got to a point where every time my husband would enter a room he'd go like are you farming again are you farming and I'd have to go yeah, yes, I am. I have to harvest uh, this wheat now or I'm not going to have enough coins to buy more carrot seeds. <laughs> so you've got it under control then, Ellie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But, you know, and I get asked about this with kids a lot as well. And I think it's like, I honestly think it's like anything. Of course, it's not a good idea to play games for 12 hours a day. And of course, that's a possibility in the same way. Yes, as we all know, Mickey, if you if you sometimes one glass of wine can lead to 17 that's not great either (laughs) it is at the time it's wonderful yes at the time it's marvelous but you realize very quickly you can't do that every day Mm -hmm. and you have to manage yourself and you have to you know take responsibility but I also think with kids it's like when I come in from work I don't want to sit down and practice the guitar or do some maths like do you know what I mean I need a break I need some downtime and for my kids as it is often for me that involves a screen that's how I like to relax how they like to relax and actually I mean this some people might disagree but I would rather they were playing a game than watching tv or youtube it's more interactive yes exactly it's much more passive if they're watching youtube or or telly and I'm not again I'm not saying that means I never let of course they're allowed to watch it but I'm saying given the choice I'd rather they spent half an hour on a video game because their brain is engaged and they are learning skills you know it's that old thing about oh it teaches them hand-eye coordination that's rubbish like you know what I mean my son's not going to be a fighter pilot really uh, <laughs> child can barely make a cup of tea but um <laughs> it does teach you play and play is an important skill we have to learn we have to learn how to lose we have to learn how to cope with failure we learn that if we 
practice something and try something again and again we will eventually succeed or get so bored that we go and do something else but these are all actual life skills and I think games are pretty good at teaching them I think that's a really really healthy way of looking at it as well so Ellie where can people find out more about what you're up to and when your farm shop is opening <laughs> do you know what I've, I've had to I've had, I had to cut myself off the heyday because I had to get all my work done for Christmas but now now Christmas has started so I'm going to get back on it so the farm shops you, you've inspired me Mickey the farm shops <laughs> be up today. yeah so people can go to at Ellie Gibson games on Instagram and at Ellie Gibson on Twitter and that's my sort of games focused stuff um, but of course I am one half of the comedy double act scummy mummies uh, I nearly said popular comedy double act but that's very arrogant isn't it you are super popular and rightly so I'm one half of the moderately successful double act scummy mummies <laughs> moderately funny so uh yes i'm also on there at scummy mummies with at helen wears a size 18 not i'm even plugging her fashion account this is getting out of control you've got to stop me mickey podcast is called extra life and you're at extra life pod on twitter i expect so i don't manage that but someone someone probably does you probably <laughs> you are better than you me. are i'm telling oh, thanks. you thanks oh, <laughs> are you running it is it you yeah it's me it's me <laughs> oh great uh, well you're busy farming <laughs> i'm doing your admin yeah those cows aren't going to milk themselves (laughs) ellie it has been an absolute delight chatting to you merry christmas mate oh thanks for having me merry christmas hello hannah here just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do you can help us by rating and reviewing us on itunes it really does help especially if you give us five stars did that sound threatening enough Give us five stars. I'm joined by Liz Scowcroft, Head of Research and Evaluation at Samaritans, who's here to talk to us this week about loneliness at Christmas. Hello, Liz. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Most people listening will be aware of or familiar with the Samaritans and aware of the kind of work they do. But just for anyone who isn't, could you just start off by telling us a little bit about Samaritans? So Samaritans' vision is that Fewer people die by suicide and we're a charity that operates across the UK and Republic of Ireland. We answer a call for help every seven seconds and every year um, our volunteers who answer the phone spend over a million hours responding to calls for help. So that just gives you a real idea of the sort of scale of Samaritans and the amount of people that we help day to day really. What I want to talk to you about today predominantly is Christmas and Christmas can be quite a stressful time for various people you know there's a real sort of family focus on Christmas and spending time with people and obviously this year particularly but just in general terms if we take 2020 and and the madness of it out of the equation for a minute. I mean every year we answer a lot of calls for help so we we operate every day of the year including Christmas Day from people who are struggling to cope or who are lonely and that period can be a really difficult time. There's a lot of pressure to either spend time with certain people, spend time with with people who you might have difficult relationships maybe there's pressure to have a nice time you might not feel like doing that and people can feel particularly lonely maybe if they don't have the support networks that are expected of them at that time there's a whole heap of reasons that people might find Christmas difficult and that's why we're always available to help that time of year as well but I think around that time it's really important for us all to look out for one another and remember that it can be really difficult it's not just all about jolliness and joy and mulled wine um, it can be really really difficult for a lot of reasons 
I, I don't know, it's a bit paradoxical in a way because people do experience loneliness at Christmas, but it is a time when you are sort of expected to be around lots of people and, and maybe you you can't be around people for, for whatever reason, but also people who are surrounded by their loved ones can feel loneliness still. Yeah, absolutely. Loneliness doesn't necessarily mean being alone. Of course, this year we've had a different sense of what being isolated means, haven't we? But yeah, feeling lonely is about feeling like you've got nowhere to turn or you don't have people around you that maybe you can talk to and a whole heap of other things. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you are physically alone and there can be a million people in the room and you still feel really lonely. And it's really important when we feel like that to make sure that we try as hard as we can to reach out and seek help. You've touched on it there, but 2020 has been quite an extraordinary year and people have been in lockdowns. You know, we've had national lockdowns. We've had different tiers across the country. It's just been announced yesterday as we record this that London's about to go into the highest tier over the Christmas period, which will cause a lot of anxiety for people, myself included, about what, you know, what is the right thing to do about Christmas you know should we go and visit our loved ones should we should we leave it this year so it has been a really I'm so bored of this word now but you know unprecedented situation that that we all find ourselves in so have you seen an impact in terms of like the number of calls that you're getting I know you've done a bit of research around this perhaps you could tell us a bit about that yeah I mean as you can imagine now more than ever Samaritans is a really critical service for people who are struggling to cope and we've been as busy as ever between March and September when the restrictions were put in place we we provided emotional support more than 1.2 million times to people who reached out to us. So, um, yeah, that's that's quite a lot of support that our volunteers are providing around the clock. And we worked really hard during that period, right at the beginning, actually, to make sure that our volunteers were regarded as key workers so that they were able to get to their branches, take the calls when people were struggling and make sure that there was somebody there. Some of the real major concerns that we've heard from people are around isolation, as you can imagine, and loneliness, mental health, family and finance and unemployment. So mm. probably not surprising the conversations and types of conversations that we're having and conversations about loneliness and isolation have increased when we compare that to the amount of conversations we were having about those topics this time last year. Are you getting calls from the same sort of demographic? So I, we know that obviously suicide is the biggest killer of young men. The highest group for suicide risk is middle-aged men, but it is the leading cause of death for young men as well. So yeah, men we are always particularly concerned about because suicide affects men disproportionately. We've seen a bit of an increase in contacts from men during the COVID period. Through talking to our volunteers about the types of calls that we're receiving, we're particularly concerned about middle-aged men, young people and people with pre-existing mental health conditions it's really clear that covid and the other impacts that are associated with the virus the restrictions and the impacts of all of those things they're really having a profound effect on those three groups of people the restrictions that we've put in place where people have to stay in their houses and might be isolated from other people that is you know one factor there if you're struggling with your mental health that's perhaps going to exacerbate the things that you're struggling with but also just accessing people's usual support networks, and that might be friends, family, peers, whatever that is. And then also accessing formal support services and making sure that you can get the right help that you need. All of those things are really exacerbating people's problems who who struggle with their mental health anyway. And it's just really important that we make sure that 
mental health services are there available for people and that's obviously along with everything else in the country that's been difficult to keep running. So Christmas you know it's going to be a bit of a double whammy for a lot of people there may not be an obvious reason why someone might feel lonely are there ways of kind of spotting someone might be having you know problems with their mental health or or feeling lonely? Yeah, as you say, it can be really difficult to spot those signs that someone might be struggling, particularly when we're social distancing, we're not around people as much. But, you know, it's important to understand if people have been through something that's quite challenging. Maybe they've been struggling with some other life event as well as COVID and making sure that we reach out to people so that they know that they're not alone in dealing with something that's happened to them. Or if we know that they are isolating because of COVID, making sure that we reach out to them to check in on them. We can also look out for signs where people might not be acting like themselves. Maybe they stop replying to messages or don't call perhaps as much as they they used to. And that can be a sign that someone's lonely and struggling to cope if they kind of stop reaching out too. So I think it's just really about now more than ever, we continue to check in with each other and support people who we think might be struggling or lonely or just check in even if we might not know that they're struggling but also I think it's important to remember that we also have to look after ourselves and it's really important to not feel that we have to look after everybody around us to the detriment of our own well-being and mental health I think it's it's a joint effort. So if you're worried about someone, obviously taking into account everything you've said there, it's always a good idea to check in with people, whether you're worried about them or not. But if you are worried about someone or someone, you know, approaches you and tells you that, you know, they're having a hard time or, you know, having feelings of isolation or hopelessness or or, or whatever it may be, what can we do to help them? Or if anyone listening who feels like they need some support, but isn't able to reach out to someone they know how can they help themselves so I guess in terms of helping ourselves if we don't feel like we've got somebody within our network friends and family that we can reach out to I think that's where Samaritans really can provide support and can be a really valuable service for people who are struggling so I would recommend reaching out picking up the phone our numbers 116123 it's free to call and there's volunteers available on the phone lines 24 hours a day so if there's no one else that you can talk to or no one else that you want to talk to that's always a service that's available and our volunteers are just there to listen they'll just listen to whatever it is that you're going through without judgment, without expectation about how the conversation will go. They'll just be there to listen. If you can reach out to family and friends as well, or instead of that, that's great. And in terms of helping people who do reach out to you, I think the message is sort of similar to Samaritan services, really. I think it's about listening, about not being judgmental, not not trying to find solutions for people, just listening to people, just being there. I think there's huge value in that. And you might be able to offer some advice and some practical support in some way. And even if you can't, I think that's fine. Just be there. Let people know you're there and listen in a compassionate way. If people are suffering, if they're having a hard time, it's really important that they do try and seek help if they can. And they can do that with the Samaritans. Can you just tell us again how we can contact the Samaritans if we wish to? You can call Samaritans on 116123. It's free to call and our phone lines are open 24 hours a day, every day of the year, even Christmas Day. And you can also email us for support. The email is joe at samaritans.org and there's a whole load of resources as well on our website.
So in a second, I'm about to talk to Hope Virgo about something to look forward to in the new year once we get through Christmas. And just before I do that, if anyone listening is, you know, they maybe are not having any difficulties themselves, they maybe don't know anyone who is, but they would like to donate to Samaritans because I know you're always grateful for any donations that come your way. How can we do that? We've got a Christmas appeal actually um, at Samaritans that people can donate to. So you can do that through Samaritans website. Go to samaritans.org forward slash donate Christmas and you can make a one-off or a monthly payment. Excellent. Thank you very much. We're all having a bit of a tricky time at the moment. It's not been the nicest year I have just yesterday decided that I am not going to go to my mum's for Christmas, so it will be the first year ever I have not spent with my mum, which is a bit sad. However, it's not all doom and gloom. There's potentially a bit of hope on the horizon. That wasn't a pun, but I am actually, in fact, joined by a bit of a standard issue favourite, because she's been on the podcast a couple of times, writer and campaigner, Hope Virgo. Hi, Hope. Hi, thanks for having me on. Hope, you've been involved in a campaign that the Samaritans are working on, which is coming up in the new year. First of all, there's a book, How to Listen, which is going to be published in January, and also Brew Monday, which is encouraging people to reach out to someone for a virtual cuppa to chat and check in and stay connected. Can you tell us a little bit about them? So for me, getting involved in this was was really important. So I've had my own mental health issues um, growing up. And I'm now in a place where I'm in ongoing recovery, but kind of manage it. And I think particularly over the last year, we've seen this increase in people struggling with their mental health. And for me, the reason contributing, particularly, I think, to the book, but also um, to Brew Monday as well, was that there is just so much noise out there at the moment. And there's so many people struggling and so many people who are just not feeling heard. And through things like Brew Monday and through the book called How to Listen, It is all about actually how we can get people talking, but also we can educate people on how to listen and what works and how you can offer a little bit more support. But for me, the big takeaway from all of this, I think, is just encouraging people to just sit down, have a conversation and don't try and fix someone if they come to you with their issues and what the matter is with them. Say at one of your darker moments, perhaps when you were younger, what would you have liked someone to do for you? So for me, it's about sitting alongside that person. I think a really, really good starting point would be to go for a walk with someone or to have a cup of tea, kind of take a bit of a step back, like block out some time to have a real conversation where that person would be properly engaging. So they wouldn't be sitting there on their phone or scrolling through social media whilst having that conversation. And they would literally just be like, how are you today? How are you feeling? And that person would start to say, so for me, when I was growing up, I would have had that space to say, I'm feeling like this right now. I'm struggling with this a little bit. This is what's going on. And normally, I think in kind of human instinct, particularly if you love someone and you're friends with them, you're going to jump in and you're going to try and fix that person. And you're going to try and be like, oh, well, this happened to me. And oh, I can relate to this. Or this is what you should be doing. And I know that I definitely have a tendency to try and fix people. But actually, for me, the listening is actually just taking that step back and just sitting there and kind of absorbing that information, prompting every now and again, but actually just being there with that person. And then I think always when we're having these conversations, it's then about once you've listened and taken that in, kind of feeding back what you think you've heard to make sure that actually that you've understood it in the right way. And then you can have a bit more of a dialogue about it. And then finishing the conversation with a plan to always follow up with that individual. And I think particularly with mental health issues, sometimes, and I know I've felt this in the past, is when you're really vulnerable with someone and you share something quite 
kind of deep and personal. And then maybe the conversation ends and you go your separate ways. You then have this fear. You're like, oh my goodness, like, what have I just said? How much have I overshared? Like, oh, I don't know how I'm feeling about this now. So I always say, actually, when you've had that conversation, actually follow up with that person like that same day, perhaps in the evening when they're likely to be ruminating over that conversation to just thank them for sharing that with you and to have a little bit more of a dialogue around that discussion. I think it's really hard, isn't it? Because as people, as friends, as family members, you know, when we're having these kind of conversations with our loved ones, it's really hard not to offer some kind of, oh, right, okay, yeah, no, I can, you know, as you say, oh, I can relate to that because of whatever, or, or, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Because you do want to offer something positive back, don't you? But I think you're absolutely right. Sometimes you do just want people to kind of listen to you and sit with what, you've said and not necessarily have an opinion or you know just just understand what you're going through yeah and I think like particularly this year obviously like everyone's had a really challenging year and it has been really difficult for everybody and we've all felt different things and I think particularly like with the pandemic and stuff sometimes you feel like you say something or you share something and then someone feels like they have to kind of validate their feelings around the pandemic as well so you might say I've had a really bad day today and then they might jump in and say, oh, yeah, me too. I don't have a garden. Like, my life's so much harder. And, like, that's fine. But at the same time, I think sometimes it's about listening and maybe not comparing and contrasting quite as much, which is why I think trying not to jump in is really important. It's really interesting you say that about the pandemic. I mean, I, I was heavily pregnant during the first lockdown, which obviously was not fun. There's a lot of anxiety about that. But I felt that a lot of people were almost having, like martyr competitions like people were like oh I haven't got it that bad because you know you're on your own or oh I haven't got it that bad because I'm not pregnant oh I haven't and, and actually I think it's okay to just accept that this is just a shit situation for everyone and actually it is all relative and it's okay to think it's shit you know even if you live in a massive house with a big family and have a huge garden it's okay to still think it's shit because it is shit but actually I, I feel like this is one of these phrases that gets like bandied around quite a lot at the moment this whole like it's okay to not be okay what do you think about that as a message because I think that's a shit message <laughs> I don't think it is okay to not be okay and I think the message should be if you don't feel okay, there are places you can go to to seek help. You don't have to put up with feeling like crap. I completely agree with you. It's It sucks. Life really sucks at times. And when you don't feel okay, it, it's really difficult and it's really horrible. And yeah, it's just awful. And I think sometimes by saying it's okay to not be okay, we're like settling at a certain level. And I know particularly so with eating disorders, but also kind of a bit more with mental health issues as well. It's like a lot of people, I think, function and just feel pretty rubbish a lot of the time. But they just function, they kind of find their coping mechanisms and they just kind of, yeah, push through those feelings. I don't think that's fair on the individual to then settle at that space. So for me, it's always like, actually, when you get to those periods where you start functioning, when you feel really rubbish, it's about, yeah, going to that support, looking what support is out there and actually reframing yourself to be like, actually, do you know what? Like, I feel rubbish today. That's not okay, but I can get to a space where I can talk about it and I can process it and I can move to like another stage in my recovery or my journey. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you shouldn't feel ashamed if you don't feel okay. That's not what I mean. But I think that, you know, yeah. what I would like people to take away from this, there is someone out there who can talk to them and, and there is some place out there for them to seek help and receive it so that they will at some point feel okay again and that is obviously the whole point of the Samaritans 
and what you guys are trying to achieve. Because it is Christmas and Christmas is obviously a particularly difficult time for a lot of people and it is going to be even more difficult this year for various reasons. What advice would you give someone who is feeling a bit rubbish over Christmas? What can they do? So I think having some kind of plan in place around the time, I guess so you're not sitting with your emotions too much and so you feel a little bit more in control of the whole kind of holiday season. I think also identifying at least one person that you can have a proper conversation with. So whether that's someone in your family, whether that's a friend or whether that's using kind of social media or the Samaritans, actually have that number or that person in mind so that if you do suddenly feel like you're struggling a little bit or you're having a bit of a down moment, you can then reach out for that support immediately and check in with that person or that organization. And then I think as well, like just try and be compassionate to yourself, which, yeah, I'm never really sure what I think when people say be kind to yourself. But I think this year, like it's so, so important. We've put so much pressure on Christmas being like this perfect holiday season. And at the moment, I feel like a lot of people's plans are probably up in the air. No one's really sure what they want to do or how they're feeling about it. And I know for me, like I find Christmas really, really challenging in itself anyway. And I've probably cried the most about Christmas this year than I have done for the last couple of years. But actually just realizing that it's like, we're in the midst of a pandemic still, like we've all had a really difficult year. Don't try and create some like super special extra Christmas this year. Be relaxed about it. And yeah, speak up when you need that support. Brew Monday and how to listen. When is the book published and when is Brew Monday? The book is out on the 7th of January. Mm-hmm. Brew Monday is happening on the 18th of January. And what Samaritans are doing is encouraging people to get together for a virtual cuppa and to have that time to just talk to each other, like share what's going on and to really, really take that time out in the day. And then again, encouraging you to just do this. I think just over the kind of that whole week, but also making a commitment to do it over the next month just to make sure that we're keeping that dialogue going further. Well, that sounds like an excellent idea to me. Hope, thank you so much. It's been excellent chatting to you. And I think that's really, really good advice that you've given listeners. Where can we find you and where can we find the Samaritans on social media? So the Samaritans can be found on Twitter and Instagram with just at Samaritans Charity. And then I can be found on social media as well, just with um, at Hope Virgo. Hello there, listener. Jen here to ask you a little favour, if I may. If you're not doing so already, you can follow us on all of the social medias. Well, not all of them because we're old and we don't know what all of them do. But on Twitter, we are at Standard Issue UK. On Facebook, we are Standard Issue Magazine. And on Instagram, where it would be particularly helpful if you would follow us, we are at Standard Issue Podcast. Also on Twitter, you will find me at Inspira Jen, Mickey at Mixter Noonan and Hannah at That Dunleavy. Ah, go on, give us a follow. Standard issue for all women.